if I can't see me, then how can I be that? So a lot of the times they don't get to see uh, black engineers or black doctors or, or or just black lawyers all the time unless it's being portrayed on TV, which even that is not as prevalent as it used to be. So now we're trying to push that a lot more. You're seeing it everywhere. It now makes it a little bit easier. So a lot of the times it's just there to have their doubts because they don't see it. And again, that's the main reason I try to make sure I showcase myself and tell people where I'm from. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I am excited. How are you? Ah, well, I'm fantastic, but I'm also really excited to hear why you're so excited. Really? Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm just excited for our guest today and the topic that we get to talk about. And who is that and what is that? (laughs) Our guest today is Chris Hightower, Senior Engineer for Universal Parks and Resorts. And we get to talk about all things engineering in the theme park industry and getting to be a part of the development of some of the most amazing world-class attractions that I know that you and I love to ride as a guest and also that we've had the opportunity to operate too as you know as as the background in some of our career as well as uh, what many of our listeners and our audience get to do on a day-to-day basis. Well and the good thing is he's not quizzing us like on engineering you know, topics and, and, and tech words and things like that. Um, in fact, I think he's actually got a pretty, um, a pretty unique way of kind of keeping things simple, you know, when it comes to talking about the tech part of it. And um, so I appreciated that as a non-engineer, uh, but also just hearing him talk about the way that he likes to give back to the community. And it's, it's not just about, you know, I'm going to build the, the best and greatest ride, but there's, there's, other things that we need to focus on as a human being. And again, giving back to the community is one of the things that he talks about uh, quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to be a a big part and very important part of the conversation we have with him today, especially as it relates to promoting diversity in engineering in the theme park industry and the work that he does of speaking with schools, whether it's high schools or colleges, to be able to inspire the next generation of engineers and particularly those in the African-American community. And I think one of the most important things he said, which I've heard other people say, it, with, with regards to African-American people in the engineering community is that if they don't see people like them doing that, then it's hard to picture themselves doing it. And so they may not take the steps or set the goals that they would need to do to, to, to achieve to actually get there in the first place. So I think that's a really critical component. And he's a huge advocate of, you know, spreading the word and, and being as diverse as possible. So, um, you know, it's just, just when we say wide ranging conversations, this is, this is absolutely one of them. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, you mentioned setting goals there a second ago. So after we talked about promoting diversity in engineering, we led right into the best way to set and set out to achieve your goals. And talking about someone who has achieved some uh, pretty ambitious goals of being in the role that he's in within engineering at uh, one of the biggest destination theme park resorts in the world uh, is nothing short of inspiring. So I'm really excited to share this interview. Would you say his goals are BHAGs or whatever? Yes, <laughs> it is. That's uh, that's an acronym that um, that we don't cover in this interview, probably for the best because it's one of the weirder <laughs> ones. But uh, big, hairy, audacious goal. So, yes, what is what is your big what is your BHAG, and how are you going to use the smart model uh, to get from A all the way not to B but to Z into the to the finish line and unlock your your big, hairy, audacious goals. And we do talk about the SMART model. So that is, that is you know, for, for people playing at home, that's the acronym that we talk about on this episode. So let's go ahead. What do you say? And get to this interview with Chris. Let's do it. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. We're really excited to have you here. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Really looking forward to jumping into this chat. Uh, so if we were to get this started, can you just give us a quick intro and just tell us about your background in the industry? Uh, my background in the industry. So I've been in the industry, believe it or not, 20 years. Uh, kind of amazing. I, I surprise myself sometimes. Started out working inside of the park. It was a high, uh, high school gig. Uh, continued to work throughout college when I was going to Florida a and up in Tallahassee, coming back home. Uh, went through, graduated with my electronics engineering degree and was like, hey, where can I start working? Where can I start doing? And I was looking for jobs everywhere. And one of my mentors at the time said, hey, have you tried Universal? And I was like, wait, they have a real job? I thought it was just all, you know, burgers in the park and the attractions and that's it. So I applied for a bunch of different positions, got into what we call our, uh, at the time, energy conservation. So as part of that department was a energy management tech, worked over third shift for a few, uh, continued and got promoted to a electronic specialist. So I started working on all of our building automation systems out there, fire alarm systems, HVAC controls, uh, gate arms, car swipes, anything electronic. It was, I was involved with it at the, on, at the time on site. Uh, did that for about five years. Decided to take on a new challenge, so therefore I started working at Forbidden Journey as a ride and show uh, automation tech. It, you know, the standard PMs at night, made minor changes, uh, just started learning about industrial controls and how our rod systems work. From there, I made a couple connections and was able to talk with our director of engineering at the time, Ms. Paula Sinsler, and she gave me an opportunity to put my engineering degree to full effect. And I got my first chance to be an associate engineer working in our sustaining department, our sustaining engineering department. And from there, I just did that about eight years until where I am now today, uh, senior engineer for our Global Attractions Program. And now I work uh, with all of our different attractions that we have that we want to maintain across our multiple parks, that we want to maintain that, that intellectual property and, and keep it, you know, prolong the life a little bit of our attractions. 
So Chris, I love that you said, um, oh, Universal has real jobs uh, because Josh and I have both worked at Universal. And one of the things I remember going in was they said, you know, if you're in a position right now, but maybe it's not the right fit or you're you're pursuing a different degree, you know, we're like a small city. We have all kinds of different positions uh, available here. So what was it like going from, you know, being a production cook and kind of working the front lines to then working in, a, in an environment where we're, you were using your degree and kind of in that quote unquote real job I, I think it starts out with just uh first being able to take on a new mindset so obviously it was a part-time job it was working 20 hours a week or you know doing breaks summer breaks it was working 40 hours a week if i could get it in but making that mind change to say you know what this is what i want to do every day this is what i want to get into i would like to find a way to make this my career and working here i was working at universal it was really nice because like you said we had so many opportunities when i first made apply for my first position i applied for four different positions at once all in like a bulk and it was like you know what this one probably be your best fit once you try this one and that's how i went down that path so you described your job as far as everything with the controls you mentioned gate arms and all these very technical aspects of the attractions and uh, it's so interesting to hear just how how probably detail focused and detail oriented your role must be. But for people who might not have a background with engineering or for the technical side of it, how do you explain what you do to someone who might be completely outside the industry or maybe chatting with a friend who doesn't have the same background and expertise that you do? So I'd like to find an analogy. You know, I keep it just very simple. And I tell them my job right now is I take you from that iPhone 6 and I bring you up to the iPhone 12. I'm not going to take you to the 13, not all the way there, but I'm going to get you close enough that you should be able to last for another four or five years with that phone. <laughs> nice. And I would imagine that as complex as your job is, at times you do have to kind of keep it simple, right? And think about, I, I've got to do this one thing so that that affects this one thing and that affects this one thing. Not being an engineer, I'm, I'm guessing here, so feel free to, to, um, to, to correct me if I'm wrong, but you, know, you, you would have to be detail-oriented oriented about all those different aspects and then see them all come together. Yes, I mean, from my perspective as an engineer, I, like, like you said, it's very detailed. So I'm looking at the different manuals, I'm looking at schematics, I'm looking at the design, making sure that it's safe, I'm making sure that everything is going to be integrated properly. And I have to take all that into account because, look, your lives is in my hands. So I have to make sure that I'm always to the T. I don't want to let one thing slide. I don't want to let just anything pass by. I need to pay attention to all details and make sure that everything's working together. How much of what you do would you say is directly related to the theme park industry and theme park attractions versus maybe somebody who has a similar type of role, but maybe with a, a manufacturing company or in an automotive plant or something like that, who might have, might from a technical side, be a lot of, there might be a lot of similarities versus something that is specifically, this is unique to operating a theme park attraction. So believe it or not, with industrial controls, I think that a lot of our, the industries kind of are similar, and that's from a safety perspective, and that's with theme parks and manufacturing, car manufacturing, as well as the pharmaceuticals. The difference between them is that the car industry, for instance, they, they take a robot, 
they grab a piece, they put a boundary around it and say, you know what, we don't want anybody to get inside this boundary. If they get within this boundary, we need to stop so that way nobody gets hurt. We do it in the inverse. We put you on the end of that robot and we sling you around so you can have as much fun as possible and we want to make sure that you don't get out. And we put that same boundary around, but we want to make sure that you don't get outside of that boundary. Yeah, and just hearing that kind of difference of approach right you know kind of the inverse of of the of the the automotive industry you know and earlier you talked about mindset so how does that change your mindset as an engineer knowing that you're engineering you know ultimately for somebody to be on the end of that arm versus you know a, a piece of a car being on the end of that arm a lot of times you're just trying to think again, how can I secure this person or this individual to the end of that arm? So you take into account all these different dynamics that will happen. You know, uh, you have the weight, you have length, you have height. How, how do I take into account all of that and make sure that I can build one system to accommodate a various amount of different body sizes and types? So those are the things that go into it as you, you, you approach your design as well. Mm -hmm. One of the things too, when it comes to a theme park attraction is that the guests and the vast majority of people, they really see a facade of what's going on. They only see the end result versus the amount of inputs that go into it. Uh, what are some of the things that people might not necessarily be thinking about when they're visiting a theme park in terms of how all of this is working around them to almost make it look effortless and you know, almost, almost look like magic in some instances? I mean, I think first and foremost, people don't understand how much we put into it just to make sure they're safe. Um, that's always number one in front of mind for us. So we're doing look into all our systems to make sure they're they're checked and we test them over and over again before we actually put people on them. And we just want to maintain that quality as well. And, you know, their reliability over time. Then we have to make sure that all the different systems interact with one another seamlessly. So, you know, you want to be able to hit that a certain scene and make sure that the fire is coming off into your face or the fans or you feel like you're actually falling off of the building and we have to make sure that all those systems work along with some of the, like our ride vehicles as they're coming along and dealing with some of the special effects as you're going by with them so i think a lot of times they don't see all the extra work that we have to put in to kind of sell you that facade sell that story to you or just some of the people on the back side of it that's doing the artwork and making sure that you're seeing what you want to see and then I would imagine the other part of that is now integrating operations, right? Because you design it and you make sure everything is safe, but then it's up to the operations folks to, to kind of bring it to life and, and operate it every single day. You know, you talked about, you know, making sure things could, could last a long time. So what is that relationship between you and the, the operations folks? Well, I think that that relationship is kind of the sibling relationship, you know, that the, the brother sister kind of thing, you know, you, you want to make sure you're doing everything, but at the same time, you, you want to beat up on them a little bit because they're beating you down for certain stuff. But at the end of the day, everybody's there to sell or to pr promote a good time for the, for the guests. You know, um, we all have to work closely together. We try to make sure we get some of their input early into the phase. So that way we know that certain, certain people are, or certain practices may take place. And sometimes it works, sometimes it don't, but we try our best to work together just to make get to that end goal. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's so interesting to hear about just all the different inputs and all the different factors that go into that end result and that world-class attraction. There's there's the engineering side, the manufacturing side, and like we just talked about the operation side, and then the design side of now here's all these special effects that might be operating parallel with the you know the ride or the attraction itself of whether it's fire or water or air or anything that we know that universal's attractions have no shortage of those special effects on them definitely creating that full immersive experience and then tying that all together what's that like for you and your colleagues whether it's within your department or within those other departments to make sure that everyone is working collaboratively and on the same page from day one through the finish line I, I think it really starts with having a good plan laid out. So we have to know first how we're going to start and what's the what's the end goal. So you know, you kind of work backwards in a sense. Let's set up this, let's set up the the story, let's set up the theme, and then let's work our way backwards to see how we can get to that goal. A lot of times, our leadership come with great plans, and we just do our best to follow them. Uh, sometimes maybe they're not so great plans, but we still have a get to an end goal, and that's always to make the guests excited and happy to be at that. Position. You know, Chris, earlier you talked about story and how we tell a certain story. And we hear a lot of designers and, and technicians talk about that and, you know, operators as well. Um, but I'm curious about, from your standpoint, it almost seems like what you're doing is helping to tell the story, but not be in front of people. Like, like you're the behind the scenes part of telling the story. So how do you, how do you, I guess, continue to ensure that they are not taken away from the story uh, by, by what you do versus, um, you know, you being the one that, that helps propel the story without them seeing that you're propelling the story. I'm not sure I answered, I asked that question quite right, but I hope you could understand what I was getting at. Uh, I think the biggest thing is, again, coming back to the safety and making sure that we know they're safe and, and coming up and utilizing new technology as we can. So that way, we're in the past that some of the guests have, you know they're riding on a, on a pinch wheel and it's taking them around. So now we're using auto autonomous vehicles. So that way you can see into the ground and you can have more rock work put up there and build bigger, better facades. So the goal is for us to kind of come up with that new technology and find a new technology of what we can use so that way you can be immersed into the story even better. So that way you don't have to worry about something being wrong. You just be a part of the story. Mm -hmm. How has that been for you over the past 20 years of seeing technology just continue to evolve and develop more? And Universal is definitely well known for being just at the forefront of the newest technology where you look at the amazing adventures of Spider-Man, that's still one of the most high-tech attractions that exist in the world. But now it's been, you know, over 20 years since that's opened and you get the KUKA arm and you mentioned the trackless vehicles and so many different types of ways that uh, people are able to I guess, experience a theme park attraction based on that evolution of technology. I've got to imagine that that's been really exciting for you to kind of, I, I don't know, get more, more tools in the toolbox or more toys to play with really of, of what can we do and adapt this? Can you share kind of how that has been for you over the last couple of decades? I mean, for me, being, you know, kind of, the, it's, it's like being a kid in a candy store, being an electronics background guy, I always wanted to know how things work. Uh, I love tinkering with, with things growing up. So now I get to literally tinker for my job. So <laughs> when some of the new things come out, I get to go try to 
see see how can I break it? Because if I can break it, then I can find a way how to fix it or prevent it from being broken in the future. So I have a lot of times that they give us different technologies and say, hey, break it. Let's see what we'll see where we can find the ferry points in it or how to go forward. And I, you know, I smile when I can do that because it's it's always fun to do. Yeah, you know, you mentioned tinkering, and I would imagine that's a big part of kind of the evolution process, right? To see what something is actually capable of. So how much time do you actually get to tinker and kind of play with things and break things versus, you know, saying, hey, Chris, we've got to have this thing and we've got a deadline and, you know, you know, we've got to move forward on that. How much tinker time do you get? Uh, I will say not a whole lot. It all depends on where you are within that project cycle. But a lot of a lot of it, believe it or not, is kind of done in your own time. So, you know, because you really just enjoy doing it. So you, you go to work and make sure you hit your deadlines, but then you come home and you keep pushing the envelope and keep testing out different things that you come across it. Or you just do a lot of reading or you, you know, get into some of the some of the other things that's going on out there and just try to see whether it's watching a YouTube video of whatever somebody else is doing right now. So are there any specific projects that come to mind that you think are, are great examples of something that was just such a, a unique challenge for a certain perspective and then ultimately that led to it being very rewarding that when you're out in the parks and you're walking around and you're seeing it and you're watching people coming off of it and being able to say yeah I, I helped make that happen and it wasn't easy but you know, thankfully we you know we got to where we are today. So I think there's a few different projects that come up that, that kind of fit that mold. And for me, it's always just knowing that I did my little piece of the project to make sure that the, the grander picture is painted. So, uh, and then now I know there's a couple of them coming down the pipeline for me that I just can't wait to get into as well. And I'll be looking to one next, uh, actually about two months of getting ready to go down. And it's one of the number one attractions that's in Universal Studios and you know a lot of people are going to miss it but it's, it's just that time to upgrade it it's time to make it better it's going to be the same attraction but we just need to upgrade it so that way it can keep living on inside of the theme park yeah you know Josh just mentioned or maybe it was you that also mentioned um, you know kind of keeping up with technology, but also what other parks are doing. And I would imagine with so many different universal parks, at some point, you're almost competing with yourself. Like we did this, you know, we did Spider-Man. Now we want to outdo that with Forbidden Journey or Gringotts or something like that. And so how much, how much of your, your influence comes from seeing what even other theme park operators are doing or other, uh, other industrial uh, engineers might be doing? I mean, I think we all want to know what everybody else is doing within the industry. And you, you just try to take it in and see how they're, they're creating new stories, how they're creating bigger, better rides. I mean, you have people that are coming up with brand new roller coasters and they're finding new ways to kind of put so much limitations. I mean, I'm sorry, put, or push your body to the limit. So it's kind of interesting to always see what's going on. You have to take in some of the different magazines or pay attention to shows like this that come up and tell you different things that's going on. Do you ever get inspiration from anything that is completely outside the industry altogether, just through your daily life or whatever it is and thinking, man, it would be cool if we could, and then, I don't know, fill in the blank, take this and put it in this capacity. And, you know, maybe that could, that could one day down the road be something that people are enjoying. 
I, I do come across some things and think that, but then I try not to get too hung up on it because my mind gets spinning and I'll just be focused on it sometimes. So I'm already always involved in so many different things on a personal level that I, I try not to get too caught up in it. But it happens from time to time. Or even that uh, you get people that, well, as I, I talk to students every now and then, and they'll come up and just throw random ideas at you. And you're like, you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea. <laughs> So you just talked about students um, and you've got a, a great story about how you you know started on the front lines and now you're a senior engineer. Um, what sort of advice do you give uh, young people coming up into this, uh, into this industry? Well, for me, I always tell them one to begin networking, you know, you know, network with as many people as possible. That's, you know, your classmates, those that are at school with you, uh, go to the different conferences as you can, like IAPA that happened last week or SPM or TIA and just meet others that want to be into that industry or others that are into that industry. Uh, two is just never stop learning. I mean, it's a continuous cycle. You have to continue to learn all the time and be able to display the items that you're learning. And, and outside of that, just set goals. You know, set goals, let people know around you what those goals are. Because when people know your goals, they, they don't mind helping you achieve them. Or when they see you slacking off, they don't mind pushing you to get there as well. <laughs> When it comes to networking, what's some of the best advice either that you've been given or that you like giving yourself in terms of you mentioned going to certain expos and conferences and that's that's just step one. Once you walk in the door, you know, you, you can't check it off. That's when the networking begins. And for those who are novices at it or those who haven't done it before, uh, it's extremely uncomfortable for, you know, for many people and being able to, to say, all right, I want to accomplish these goals, but I want to do it in a way that, and doesn't, you know, it comes across sincere and, you know, and then I'm not just being awkward around everybody. And then I'm actually going to, you know, make, make improvements to my career and kind of meet a lot of new friends. Uh, so what do you recommend as far as being able to, to kind of network most effectively? So I will say being an introvert, it is hard at times to network. So the first thing is actually put yourself out there. Actually go to these events. Go try them out. Um, next is when you meet these people, don't just talk to them and give them the same old dry questions or well, what do you do or what do you work for? Who do you work for? Try to come up with something. Try to leave an impression on that person. Take their business card and make sure you write something on the back of it that you guys talked about. So that way, you know, and, and you have something to refer back to later because in a week or two, you're probably going to forget about it. But if you write something on the back of the business card, something you talked about, something they had, whether it was hey, it's a guy with the nice boots that he had. He wore cowboy boots everywhere. Or this was the guy that worked on Velocicoaster and he implemented the, the lunch system over there. You know, make that note. And then on top of it, make sure you actually reach out to them. And when you do, don't, you know, ask them for something. Because when people, when you network with them and they want to connect with you, they want to help you. They want to be able to do something for you. So make sure that you ask them something fulfilling and not just, hey, can you get me into the park for free? No, ask them a real <laughs> question. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny. I was talking to a group this morning about how important it is to ask for something, you know, especially if you think, you know, oh, I'm never going to get this. Well, no, you're never going to get it if you don't ask, right? And speaking of VelociCoaster, uh, I was involved with a with a program for IAPA, and we went over to Universal and had a, an amazing panel of people you probably know uh, from the operation, uh, Scott Laferte from from HR and Adam Kingsley from from uh, from operations and and some other folks, and 
as part of that program, I said, as we're planning, I said, you know, we'd love to get a ride on VelociCoaster as part of this, right? And they made it happen. So the first thing we did when we went over there is we rode VelociCoaster and then had this amazing panel. I'm still wondering how we got a ride on VelociCoaster on this HR panel, but I still think it's it's something that you you have to do. So uh, Chris, what are some things that that you have done or you have asked for maybe that you were surprised that you you were able to get? Wow. Some of the things that I was surprised that, that I asked for, I was surprised was just, I would say, general health. So, or attending some of these conferences. So, I, I'm a member of the National Society of Black Engineers, and I wanted to go to the National Convention a couple of years back. And my leader at the time said, hey, go for it. And I asked him, will you, will you let me attend? And, you know, will you take care of it? And he said, yeah, go for it. Um, then another time, it was hey, we got to pay for this certification, you know, for me to try and get this certification. Leadership looked at the budget, checked it out, said, hey, go for it. Um, I had a leader at one point that he was just very supportive of everything I wanted to try. And he's like, look, um, unfortunately, unfortunately, however you want to look at it, you're the only one asking for things. So therefore, I will continue to support you until others. And then I'll have to figure out how to split it up. But until that point, right now, you're the only one asking for things. So I'm going to support you and what is everything that you want to do. That's a that's good advice. Uh, thanks so much for sharing that, uh, Chris. Another one of the things that uh, I know we wanted to uh, talk to you about or wanted to hear you share your thoughts on is uh, the importance of promoting diversity within engineering and within the industry. Can you talk about uh, why this is such a passionate subject for you? So for me, it's very passionate because I come from Orlando, born and raised, and I grew up in the inner city of Orlando in the Paramore area, for those that don't know or are not familiar with the area. And a lot of the times that STEM is not a big promotion here. It's not promoted as a whole lot. So for me, as one who came from that area, who's got an engineering degree, who works at a theme park, I make sure I go back to my neighborhood all the time and talk with different kids at different high schools, you know, at Jones High School, at Memorial Middle School, or Rakaiba High School. I'm always going to these different schools just to promote it. And I'm not just talking about it from that perspective of, hey, you can do it too, because I did it, but I, I want them to see me. I want them to know that you, I, African-American male, has came out of the same area that you are now living in, but you cannot become a product. You can too not become a product of your environment. It's just all about if you want to set that goal and do it. So for me, I'm always giving back. Uh, like I said, I talk with the different high school kids. I go back to my school, FAMU all the time, and I talk with those kids and try to get them ways to find ways to, be, to promote them out of that situation as well. Uh, always giving advice. I've talked to some of the students this morning. I actually had a another thing going back to the previous question. I asked my, my leadership team, hey, can we host FAMU to come down and just show them what it is we do here in the back lot? And they said, make it happen, put it together. And we did it a couple of weeks ago. And that was 16 students now that now want to figure out how to get into the theme park industry. But before they didn't even know that was possible. So it's always a very passionate for me. And then knowing that just in this, in this space right now, it's maybe three or four of us. And I say us as black engineers that work for Universal. And I want to see that number increase. I, so I'm an advocate of for it. I always push it. I'm always trying to talk to and get more kids involved with STEM as well as get them to show them that the theme park industry is an option. I love that you're giving back, Chris, and talking to the youth um, uh, that are in some of those communities. Um, one of the things that I've found is that it's really inspiring to talk to young people because 
first of all, they're a lot smarter than I am, right? Which is which is great to see. Um, and they have so much uh, worldly knowledge and they just need some direction, right? So I'm curious when you talk to the folks um, in those places that you go to in the schools or in those communities, what are you hearing them say? Like, what are the what are the things that they're going through that maybe you can kind of help them see that there's a different way? I, I think most of them just don't believe in themselves. I don't believe it's possible. And it's because it's, it's, it's simple as I heard from one of my friends, Deontay, that if I can't see me, then how can I be that? So a lot of the times they don't get to see uh, Black engineers or Black doctors or, or, or just Black lawyers all the time unless it's being portrayed on TV, which even that is not as prevalent as it used to be. So now we're trying to push that a lot more and you're seeing it everywhere. It now makes it a little bit easier. So a lot of the times it's just there they have their doubts because they don't see it. And again, that's the main reason I try to make sure I showcase myself and tell people where I'm from or where I grew up at and what high school I went to and what college I went to and show them my face and say, you know what, and, and I'm an engineer and not just a engineer, I'm one of the top engineers. So that's the, that's the whole purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can imagine it's got to be very fulfilling for you to be able to go and speak at those schools and engage in the in the community there and um, being able to see what the reactions are from those students, whether it's those high school students in Paramore or the college students at FAMU. What's that like in terms of just being able to kind of see their reactions and seeing their gears turning into something that maybe they hadn't previously considered? Man, it's it's, it brings a big smile to my face every time, especially when, you know, I'm out and about and some just remember me. I talked to some kids at Wakaibo last Wednesday for teaching here in Orange County. And by Friday, I had ran across some of them just out and about and like, hey, you the guy that came to our classroom. We really love the conversation. And it's like right there that, that just lightens up my day. Or just to know that, you know what, they, they listen to me talk about what I do and say, you know what? I'm thinking about trying to get, do better in my math classes now because I know I want to get into engineering and that's big into it. And I'm like, you can do it. You can do whatever you set your mind to. And trust me, like I said, you keep telling people your goals and they're going to want to help you get to them. Well, Chris, it sounds like the advice you gave for networking is very similar to, to the advice that you might give to some of these students, right? Network, like get to know people, but never stop learning and set a goal. I think those are some trends that I heard in there as well. So when you talk about the the goals that a young person might set, and you know, you mentioned one of them, getting better at math might be one of those things that would lead them to that that kind of career. What other goals do you think that they could set? Maybe small goals that would help them, you know, kind of reach their potential. I think personally, you know, they just need to try to start with identifying, you know, it is what they have a passion for. Um, once you start there, it's easier to set those little smile, smaller goals. So some of the smaller goals is just being able to get up, uh, getting up daily at a certain time. Let's start there and have creating a routine. Or hey, let me read X amount of books a year or a month. You know, set some smaller goals. Let me learn a new trade or a new a, a, a new software program. Just start with something smaller that you can work your way into. Or just start with identifying somebody I can talk with. You know, that can be a goal. Who, who can I talk with about this particular item that I want to learn about? Oh. 
And I think that that's a, a really good point to make is that all of a lot of the things you just mentioned are small and medium sized steps that feed into something that is more overarching in that in that bigger goal. Uh, so curious as far as kind of even getting more specific with that of saying, how do you know what goals to set or how, you know, I'd be worried that, you know, something, this is, this is too small, this is too insignificant, but really being able to trace it back and saying, no, it is being able to lead to the greater goal and the greater success that I could have in my career. Even if I think that what I'm doing today might not necessarily uh, be something I'll be thinking about in 20 years, I'll be benefiting in, in 20 years when in actuality it, it leads to that. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that when you set those things down, you write them down, you can come back. If you do it right, you can come back and see it later. And uh, my wife tells me all the time, hey, Jay, she tells me all the time that, hey, those goals that you set four or five years ago, you don't realize you're living in them now. You've accomplished them now. So a lot of times, you know, people don't understand that we should go back and track these things and keep up with our goals. And it'll help us see us get to that finish line a lot faster and a lot easier. Yeah, and I think that's especially true, you know, kind of thinking back to when you are in the moment with that goal and you may not see how it's going to impact you four or five years down the road, right? You may just see, well, I'm just taking this little baby step, but all those baby steps add up right? All those baby steps will get you eventually to where you want to go. And then you'll get to start making bigger steps and bigger steps. But I think there's also something to just learning how to achieve a goal, right? And maybe it's, it's not something that is directly related to your career, but you're in the habit of, of moving forward. You're in the habit of achieving goals. So how important is that? Do you think for you in your career, just, just kind of keeping, you know, keeping the, the momentum going? Well, for me, I think it was always a struggle because I'm, as a person, always trying to look for the next thing. So I would set goals and I would hit that goal. And it's like, you know what? What's next? What's next? And so I think some people, you, you do have to understand what, what is that goal? How do you get to it? What's the steps to achieving that goal? And you have to identify all those things as you're doing it. And then with the advice that I'll give that I even struggle with is that, you know, celebrate that goal once you do it, once you achieve it. So that way you can see that moment and understand that feeling of how you feel good that, hey, I set out to do something, I completed it, and you get that good feeling that makes you want to do it and continue to push forward and do more. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are a lot of goals that maybe aren't necessarily clear-cut and so well-defined that in those instances, you might not even know that you have achieved it, or like what you just said that your wife said, hey, all, everything that she had to remind you that all these goals you've set four or five years ago, you're you're already there, you've achieved these goals. So how do you, how do you know when you're there? <laughs> uh, I think, you know, it comes down to the acronym SMART that a lot of people don't think about. And that's, you know, make sure you go specific, make sure it's measurable, make sure it's attainable. Uh, I always forget my R and then we put a time base on it. So <laughs> it just lets you know I'm human, right? Forget the R all the time. But, you know, and then the T for the time. So you have to put, once you do all those things, you identify and say, okay, I, I, I want to learn how to do algebra by the end of, within the next three months. And you have to think to myself, well, is it attainable for me to actually learn how to do algebra in three months? Well, it actually is because that's about the time, amount of time that they normally teach you in grade school. So, yes, you can do it if you put in the extra work. And how can I do that extra work? 
or or how much work will be needed you know is there somebody i can go get help with as needed so i think a lot of people just realize that yeah, and Chris, just so you know, to fill in the blank of the R, um, I <laughs> I usually use realist, realistic or relevant. Um, you know, realistic to me is similar to attainable, but relevant, like to learn algebra in three months, that's relevant to you reaching other goals as being an engineer. So that's how I use the use the R in there. So if you ever you know get stuck on one of those, just let me know. I'm happy to happy to help you out with that. I'm going to call you all day now for it, Matt. <laughs> Perfect. That's got all the acronyms. <laughs> can't, work. can't wait. Can't wait. Um, I want to switch gears just for a second um, because, you know, we've been talking a lot about the inner workings of what you do in the theme park. And, you know, I think we're all people that like to visit parks and, you know, go into, go into an experience with a, with a certain outlook or mindset. So what's it like for you knowing sort of the behind the scenes inside baseball uh, type of things that go on and you go into Universal or a Disney or a SeaWorld or, or anywhere that is, that is a visitor experience. What's that like for you? Are you able to turn off what you already know or just experience it as a guest? Uh, it's very hard to turn it off. Uh, I will tell a story of attending a park. I won't say which park, but I attended a park with, with my wife and one of my best friends. And I just looked up at the ride and I heard the noise and I said, hey, that don't sound right. It's not going to make it. And they both look at me and they say, stop it. Don't do that today. We don't want to hear that. And as we walked up to that ride, we didn't get the feel of it being down. And I said, I tried to tell you guys something wasn't right. But I say all that and say that it's very hard for me to turn it off. I do try my best to to just enjoy the parks and take them in because, you know, a lot of people are doing some amazing things right now within, within their parks, especially us. So, but knowing some of the things and some of the horror stories or the good stories and the bad stories, it's like, eh, you know what, guys, we're going to pass on this one and go to the next one. <laughs> or, you know, or I am walking around, taking it all in. Like, I wonder how they did this special effect. I wonder that they consider this. And then I, I go and enjoy it. And it's like, huh, that was pretty cool. I need to ride it again and see exactly how they did it this time. Yeah. So slightly different, but kind of similar question is when you are in the park at Universal and you are maybe just standing at the exit and just watching guests come off and seeing their reaction and knowing that you had a part in making that happen, what's that like for you? Oh, it's a great feeling. Uh, I, I like to go out every now and then and just see those people's faces or pull up a camera just to see how many people are actually coming to our attractions. And it's a good feeling. It's like, hey, somebody's really enjoying it. I, I remember a story about 10 years ago when Forbidden Journey was still going up, uh, was kind of on the newer side at that time. I was standing in line with a family from Kentucky. And they gave me the whole background, where they came from, why they was here. They was coming to see Forbidden Journey because the daughter was a big fan. And she just had to see it in here in Orlando. And they were going through it. And she explained all to me, mind you, I will be the first to say I am not a Potterhead. So I do not understand it all. But she was breaking it all down for me. And I was listening. And when I saw her walk into the castle, coming into the queue line, and she literally broke down crying, I was like, this is, this is what we do it for. And this is, this, it made me feel good. Yeah, I got a little some goosebumps there when you said that, Chris. When she was when you mentioned that she was crying, I'm not a Potterhead either, but I can absolutely appreciate all the the technology and everything and the stories that go into into all of that type of thing. So, um, 
kind of a, a, a again a similar but different question if you weren't in this industry if you weren't creating the the experiences for people what do you think you'd be doing uh i think it would be between two things one is somebody i always like to help people so i'll probably be doing something into that uh whether it's just helping them get back on their feet after being homeless or uh working out people that maybe dropped out of school i would find something to do with people or it would be probably some, a, a sports coach, uh, whether it be basketball or baseball, because I'm a big sports fan. I mean, I grew up playing sports my whole life. I probably would be doing that. Okay. Yeah. Well, you definitely are helping people and just in, in every sense of that. So you definitely are, are absolutely making a difference. And uh, this has just been a, such a great time to be able to chat with you, Chris. If people wanted to perhaps get a hold of you directly uh, or say hi on some of the social channels, where would you send them? I would definitely send them to LinkedIn first, linkedin.com backslash Chris Hightower. I'm always there. I'm always available. You can connect with me anytime. Awesome. And one thing they might see on there is that, um, you know, you talk about being an engineer on the move. So can you tell us more about what that means? Engineer on the move. That started for me is when I got my first work phone as an engineer and I set up the name, the, the tag for when I'm texting or emailing from my phone and it was engineer on the move, meaning I was always on the move. I was always going somewhere as well as in my personal life. I'm always on the move. I'm always a guy that's moving as well as I'm an engineer trying to move his way up. So I'm on the way up. So engineer on the move, always the way I push it. And I have so many people now that say that to me. Hey, Chris, what's up? Engineer on the move. Yes, I am. And they see me walking by and I'm usually not stopping. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's awesome. I'm always on the move. That's definitely, um, I would say, more engaging than sent from iPhone. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, right, Chris, this has uh, just been such a, a great chat. We really appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you today. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. And for everyone out there who is watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.